we would like to begin by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record today, and pay our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Rule Breaker Style Maker, a podcast breaking down the so-called fashion rules that we hold and that hold us back in our life and our style. Through conversations with industry guests and the Australian Style Institute team, we explore how breaking a rule can change your life. I'm your host, Lauren D. Bartolo. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back. Claire, what has been happening for you this week? I've just wrapped a couple of really big weeks actually in terms of our personal styling course and I just landed from Sydney a couple of nights ago. So we wrapped up training there and doesn't always end in tears for me, but this time it did. Um, we had a pretty amazing group of students who blew me away in more ways than I can share right now. But yeah, I can't wait to see what the future holds for each and every one of them. It was special. It's so great to hear. Here at HQ, we have announced or launched finally a course that is really important to us. It's a short course, an online one that is for teens. So Mm. for people that are still at school that have hunger to explore what their career might look like and, um, yeah, I think to nurture younger people with skills and resources is such a cool thing. So it's kind of been a, a couple of weeks of education for both of us all around. Yeah. But I think what we've done there with the teens is so special because, I mean, if, if that had been around when I was younger, that would have just been a game changer to kickstart this dream earlier. So I'm excited to see what that means for the people who enrol in that. Shall we get into today's topic? Let's. Today we're talking everything about bias and in particular our style bias and how that impacts not only our wardrobes but our confidence. And Lauren, this is something that I know you're an expert on given your background in human behaviour. So I cannot wait to pick your brain on how this all comes into play. But for those listening who have no idea what bias even is, can you give us a quick run through? Absolutely. Bias or cognitive bias is what we all have. It impacts the decisions that we make and usually we have no idea that there is this process that's going on behind the scenes impacting the things that we like, we buy, what we wear, what we even think our style is. And when harnessed with awareness, it can be really powerful because it means that we can create change in ourselves and our style and our confidence really quickly. But because more often than not, we don't even realise that we have it, it becomes very conditional or it makes our lives quite conditional. Meaning that if you're in a style rut at the moment and you're wanting to head out and find some new clothes or build a new wardrobe for yourself, the bias that you are holding is going to potentially really get in the way. So it can be really positive when we know what it is. And I'm sure we're going to get into what that actually is in today's conversation. I'm excited to do that. But when we don't, it's it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. And it can have us overspend, buy the same pieces or what we hear time and time again, 
where clients will say there was nothing for me. I shopped. I can't find anything. This season really isn't my season. Mm. I think that's so interesting, especially because what are we in end of heading towards the end of another month? Time flies and we're getting cooler and cooler here in Melbourne. And I know even the conversations that I've heard between friends, family, clients, students, mm-hmm. uh, it's all about, you know, what are the pieces we're going to take into our winter wardrobe this year? And so I, I can imagine that that's really going to resonate for a few people. Um, why do we need to know about our style bias? Because it's impacting our style and how we build out our wardrobes day to day. So let me give you an example. If we were saying, okay, yeah, winter's fast approaching and we know that there are pieces that we might need because they're missing in our wardrobe. So we all know as we become more sustainably minded, we don't want to just shop for the sake of it, but there are fundamental pieces that help us to feel refreshed each season. Some things have been worn out, they need replacing. Other times our shape or our size has changed and it's time for us to look at investing in new things. When we do that, it's not just a process of jumping online and online shopping or heading into a store and seeing what's available. We are not seeing what is there by reality or fact. We're seeing it through the very specific lens that is our cognitive bias. So there's a few of these. One is that the human brain is wired to look for consistency. So we are very good at looking for more of what we already have. And we create, like the mind is wild, (laughs) we create reasons, excuses, validations of things to be the way that we believe that they are. So if I was going to buy a coat today or going to look to buy a coat, I am going to have a series of unconscious rules, we call them rules, but biases that are going to get in the way of me finding what I need. So price is just one of the many biases that we have or rules that define what we can find, but it can be a barrier, just like the bullshit that we tell ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) So another one could be, I've got broad shoulders, swimmers shoulders, you know, the, the amount of swimmers that I've met that aren't swimmers, according to their definition of what a broad shoulder is, is, is outrageous. They've heard it from someone at one point in time. They've been told that people who have a broader shoulder than a hip ratio must have swimmer's shoulder, whatever the thing is, right? It creates this belief that if I am this, then. If I have broad shoulders, I cannot wear this. If I have broad shoulders, I can only wear that. Mm. So again, it's this other rule that at some point has been often unconsciously adopted but that is going to impact what we buy. You mentioned in that that, you know, sometimes it's because we've been told something by someone else. Is that generally where our bias comes from or are there other areas that we sort of absorb these rules? I think a a big part of it is it's our upbringing. So um, I know that I grew up with different rules and different from my mum to my dad because they grew up with different rules that they were taught from their parents and you're nodding and, and I, know oh, yes. that, <laughs> I know that it can resonate and we see this in our students and our clients all the time. So that's why I notice a lot of women need permission 
to be able to purchase things for themselves. A lot don't. They are very good at adorning themselves and, and really experiencing the art of dressing. But if you're someone who has needs permission to buy something, then all you need to do is look to your mother, then to your grandmother, and maybe even her mother before that, and you will see a path, a pathway or a pattern that has existed that has resulted in that happening. Usually, again, this is a big generalization, but it's what my experience has shown me. So that's why some of us will value um, clothes very differently. You know, some of, some people will grow up thinking it's frivolous, it's not important, and it is purely a utility that we do, you know, we wear to keep us warm. It's, it's, that's what it's about. And for others, we could say our fashion is self-expression. It's, um, it's community, it's creativity, it's, it's, um, it's self-love. The act of dressing is the same because we all put clothes on in the morning. Yeah. What we make it mean is so different. So something that we say quite often is nothing has meaning except for the meaning that we give it. And that can help inform our biases because, um, you know, if you're told that clothing is frivolous and that you shouldn't overspend then or you shouldn't spend at all, um, then you will notice a point of discomfort. And that's what I'd recommend anyone listening. You will notice there will be a point of discomfort if you go out and you buy things. Maybe it's even accum- accumulation over the week or the month where you'll start to think, oh, no, I have to pull it back. And it might not even be real. What got you so interested in biases and how did you sort of come to learn about it? You know, I'm, I'm sure there's people who will listen and be like, I want to know more about this. Yeah, well, our clients are often the best reflection of human behaviour and the differences that exist in people, the similarities and the differences. So I mentioned we all get dressed, but the way in which we get dressed is different. It's like we all brush our teeth in the morning. <laughs> Right. But the way in which we brush our teeth is different. Some people will, it'll be a mathematic equation. They're, they're counting the numbers. It's very specific. It might be that they know the number that they've got to hit. Other people, you know, we're not even thinking about brushing our teeth while we're That's doing me. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an intuitive thing. It's like, you know, when you know. Or for others, maybe it's that they have a beep on their electric toothbrush that goes off and that's how they know that their teeth are now clean. So, but, but it's still the same act of brushing our teeth. Interestingly, though, with that, there's less emotion in it because our teeth or the brushing of our teeth doesn't reflect identity like our clothes do. They tell a story. They tell us and tell the people that we're around so many things about us, whether they be true or not. It's a whole other conversation. (laughs) So when it comes to this curiosity that I found in my clients, it was because even though we were participating in the same act of getting dressed every morning, the rules that surrounded how we did that, what we bought, what was allowed to be purchased or not, and then what they told themselves in the mirror was remarkably different between each person. So as an example, Claire, is that I noticed that I would be standing in front of the mirror with one client and they would be wearing this new outfit that we were getting them to try on in a store. And so as we're there in the fitting room and they're sort of assessing really quickly what this outfit looks like, and I know that you experience this too, there's a self-talk that goes on. And even though there's no words spoken, it's a completely silent conversation There's this self-talk that is either 
in some cases, validation that the person's looking for. Other times, it's going to meet a series of criteria. We actually call this a process that we do here, the mirror strategy. It's where we're taking on really core feedback about the client's perception of themselves and their body shape, their attributes and the things they don't like so much. But even in this split second, we can tell that there is there is boxes that are needing to be ticked that as a stylist, we're not privy to unless we ask the right questions. So that's a long way of answering your question by <laughs> saying that there were there was information that I couldn't just imagine. I couldn't assume. I had to understand human behavior to be able to address the needs of my client. And through the learning of human behavior is where I understood that these rules, mostly and largely unconscious, and the biases that we have are really shaping our human experience day to day. So for someone who's listening, obviously, if this is universal, how do we even know what our unconscious bias is? Like, how do we tap into that? That's such a good question. Okay, if it's for shopping specifically, let's just say it's to to update our style, then I think there's a few key criteria that we want to look at. So if you're going shopping for, let's just say we're getting new jeans, think about the number that comes to mind first or the range, right? For some people, it'll be $30 to $50. Other people, it'll be $250 to $300. Again, it doesn't matter what it is. There's no judgment around the number or there is no right or wrong. But the number that comes to mind is where your set point is or your comfort zone of spend. Then you want to ask yourself, does it reflect where you're at right now? Because you may have pulled back your spend or it could be that actually the circumstance in which I last shopped for a pair of jeans were very different and now I've got a little bit more freedom that I can go into stores I wouldn't have previously gone into because I couldn't afford them, you know, before. Or maybe it's that this season uh, I'm going to shop my own wardrobe as much as I can and I don't want to spend any more than X number, right? So you might get some pieces that are high, some pieces that are low. So it's actually a creative exercise in might be a combination of, of designer, thrift, secondhand, doesn't matter. So that's that's one thing is you will identify unconsciously what your comfort zone or set point is for a product. Um, if it's something that you've never shopped for before, then I would ask, make it up. How much do you think that would cost? And you're probably going to be wrong, <laughs> maybe, at least in my experience that's the case, because you're pulling the number from somewhere and it's going to be based on what you think it might be. And if you haven't shopped in a few years, you might you might be basing it off like milk prices from 1989. When Lettuce really prices like... <laughs> last year. Oh, God. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. So true. We have cycles of that, don't we? We had the avocado prices. Yep. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, um, off farming and agriculture and back <laughs> on to fashion. <laughs> uh, that will be one indicator. Uh, I think another is what you think a wardrobe should actually look like. Mm. So if you think a wardrobe should be bursting at the seams and you're probably going to hold on to a lot of things that aren't actually serving you now, so you've got to do the try on. You know, we talk a lot about the wardrobe makeover process or the wardrobe edit, and it's actually about assessing what you currently have. Once you've done that, you will identify gaps. So this season, um, you might think, all right, well, I'm going to need more knitwear. I'm going to need warmer pieces. Um, in which case you want to make some time to buy them, whether it be online or, or in store. But set a budget for yourself. And again, once you head into store, you might realise that you need to reassess that budget, but a 
budget is a budget. And I would I would recommend that rather than being so fixed, if you are on the price point per garment, instead allocate yourself a budget for the season and see how creatively that could help you to think and shop. But in order to do this, we also need to suspend label bias because this is another one that we have. I have some clients that would say, no way would I go into that store. And when I ask why, it's because they have a preconceived idea on what that label is. I think what you just said there is interesting because even when I'm, it doesn't matter who I'm having a conversation with, but often that sort of, um, I guess, perception comes into play where they won't even go and just try something on. And -hmm. I think sometimes, and we might, I think we explored this in a previous episode on shopping, but we forget that we can literally just walk into a store, try it on and leave it on the rack if it doesn't work for us. Like there's no law or um, rule that tells us that we must make a purchase. And that's where I think some of us get caught up. In fact, I saw this in the classroom very recently where our students on one of the days go in with a very specific brief um, for a client and they research garments at those different price points and they're Mm -hmm. encouraged to challenge what their perception of, say, a low versus a mid versus a high price point is. And this particular group shared with me when they came back from that exercise that they were really hesitant to the point where they even walked past a luxury brand and they stood out there deliberating whether they'd even walk in the door because they had all these perceptions about what the people in there might think, whether that was the team member or the other customers. And yet they went in and were completely amazed by the level of experience that they received. It was an experience is what they said. And yet imagine if you had have held yourself back from that. Yeah. So that in, in and of itself tells us that a lot of the preconceived ideas that we have or ideas – Um, are so unconscious and they're usually made up. So what would you, let's just say you've never been into Gucci before, into the store, then you will have a preconceived idea. For some people, that's that the service will be um, terrible. Others, the service will be amazing. Some people will think um, I will be pressured to buy. Others might think I might not even get a look in. And then we hear a lot, but what might they think of me? It's like, well, who cares? (laughs) It's your shopping experience. As long as like in any store you're going in with, you know, curiosity and ideally a lot of warmth for the people that are in there doing their job, what they might think of you is going to be purely made up in your mind anyway. We create these perceptions and almost role play out in our minds these ideas that we have about different things that don't exist. And of course, that exists in any aspect of our life, but particularly when it comes to shopping. I know something you've shared with me in the past is something called confirmation bias. Yes. And I think that leads into something that you just touched on briefly. So can we take that one step further? Like what is confirmation bias? Yeah. So I mentioned that as humans, we're looking for um, consistency or information that supports back the thing that we believe to be true. So if you think that the experience in Gucci is going to be bad and then you go in probably with really closed off body language and then they might be flat out busy because let's face it, over the last five years, there's often a queue out the front of luxury stores. So you go in, everyone's busy and you automatically, unconsciously though, are thinking I better get good service here or um, because the price point is a certain rate, this that should equal whatever you've created in your mind, and you don't get that, then that gives you confirmation that your belief was true. 
So that is problematic though, because that's not how it actually is. So we do this in relationships as well. We do this in every aspect of our life. It's not, it doesn't pertain purely to shopping, but let's look at confirmation bias of that something, you know, I have a really challenging body shape to dress. Mm. We could say nothing fits me well because I have a really challenging body shape, but you might still be going into the same stores that you did three years ago when your shape was different. So it's actually time now that you find stores that do cater for your shape. But if your belief is that nothing fits me and you're going into the same stores that don't design for your body shape, you're not going to find what you need. But essentially the confirmation bias there is that it confirms the belief that we thought, which was that nothing fits, but we're actually doing the definition of insanity, which is the same thing again, again, expecting a different result. (laughs) We're going into the same stores. So it really shapes our life in so many ways. And I mentioned relationships. If you believe that men are fill in the blank, watch your mind go for confirmation. If you believe women are, if you believe that, again, Right, we could go on, right? <laughs> My brain's ticking. I'm like, we could take this into a dating podcast if you want to go down this route, Lauren. Like, do you want to analyse my dating profile? <laughs> could be fun. Oh. Could be a lot of fun. I don't know if we're. I don't know if we're um, equipped. Maybe we might need some. Um, yeah. Oh, look. I think we'd just laugh the whole time. But back onto track of fashion <laughs> is that confirmation bias. Whatever we believe to be true is what we're going to keep finding more evidence of. So this really, to to change any of this, is an act of self-awareness. And I mentioned that one thing is to look at what you're spending or what you believe should be spent. Um, Another is look at your wardrobe and actually see what you think a healthy wardrobe in your mind should look like. Um, And then I also think it's taking a look in the mirror, and this is quite confronting for a lot of people, But just observe what you do like about your shape, often much more challenging to do than to observe for many people what they don't like. But you will notice that there is self-talk patterns that happen in that space that will then impact when you do try something on, whether it be at home because a parcel's just arrived from online shopping or you're in a store, that will validate for you the things that you believe to be true. The thing that we know as stylists, though, is so often what our client believes to be true is actually so far off the mark when it comes to dressing well. And as we know, we're incredibly critical in our experience. Women generally distort 30 to 40% to the negative, which is why, and I know I'm going on a tangent here, maybe, but which is why it doesn't matter how many times you tell your friends that Mm. their shape looks great. They cannot hear you if their self-talk is otherwise. And that's the power of clothing is that the clothing does the social proof for us. It gives them the evidence that what they're saying isn't true because we've just proven it and something else have tried them on. But when they keep going back for the same shape styles and things that are based on bias and the reticular activating system, they keep feeding more of the same thing. Mm. It's interesting because I've, I've updated a few pieces in my wardrobe recently mm-hmm. and um, I bought some new jeans and I realised after buying those jeans that all my jeans before that were cropped. Oh, right. Like a seven, okay. eight sort of length or yep. even just slightly shorter. Whereas uh-huh. now I've got a pair that sort of, I feel like I'm back in that Y2K gen, you know, <laughs> you'd literally be in the trenches with your pants dragging on the ground. They're not, I got them altered. <laughs> but um, it, it just occurred to me that I'm like, I have been unconsciously 
shopping for crop jeans because in my mind I told myself that that's what looked best. But now I've got these. I'm like, I look amazing. Why didn't I do this sooner? And now I've also got the variation between the two styles that gives me options in the wardrobe as well. So it's it's interesting. We until we notice that new thing that actually does work. Absolutely. And we we get more of the new thing when we ditch the rules and the bias. Mm. So what you've just highlighted there is really important. We get to explore our style, our best style. We get to discover our best style. We get flexibility and options in our wardrobe when we are less fixed to the idea that we have on what suits us best. Because we see this all the time. We have so many stylish students that come in like, oh my gosh, it's like a feast for the eyes to see these beautiful outfits that are sometimes unique, sometimes classic, sometimes, you know, they're so varied. But if they came in believing that their style was already perfected, they wouldn't have the curiosity, vulnerability and openness to be able to take their style to another level, which is what we get when we're working with a client. So we're all a client though. Our style evolves, our tastes evolve. I mean, I'm a few years off heading into another decade and that feels like it's crept up very quickly. But what my perception was of someone who would dress in their 40s is very different to how I feel and think that I will dress. So even where I create a visual in my mind of what someone in their 40s dresses like, that's something that I've made up, I've been taught or conditioned at some point. So this is where often we'll see people that are like, oh, I've just kind of found myself in this style that isn't even mine. And it's often because of something that was a seed planted many years before. Mm. The cool thing is, is it only takes a moment, like truly a split second to change it. Um, And that all starts with awareness. So Mm. it's actually questioning ourselves and these things that we believe to be true. I feel like we could talk for ages on this and sort of dive deeper into the facets of every aspect of our life and how bias impacts it. But if we come back to let's go with shopping for a minute and someone who is really looking to become more consciously aware outside of spend, what kind of questions or thoughts should they be having in the mirror when they've got that on to sort of challenge those unconscious rules that come forward before we even realise that? Yeah. One of the most valuable things I learned to do for myself and then taught my clients to do was to take a photo of themselves and crop their heads out. And I'm pretty sure this is something that was spoken on the podcast about before. But what it tells you or teaches you is that the eyes and what they are seeing is often incorrect. And it's because we're not seeing what our eyes are seeing. We're seeing what our emotions and history and beliefs are telling us our eyes are seeing. So if you're asked to ask yourself some questions when you're in front of the mirror, firstly, it's awareness. What am I telling myself right now? Second, what am I looking for? Because some of us will go straight for the tummy. What are we looking for? Is my tummy poking out? Or we'll look straight to our hips. Do my hips look big in this? Then when we get to that, you've got to ask yourself the question, what is the conditioning that I have around this? Because if it's that I can't look like I have any tummy, then also do you want to challenge that and say, but okay, what if my tummy showed a bit? Is that going to be okay? Because I really love these pants. So it's it's knowing 
what the reasons that we give ourselves are that we will say no to something before we say yes. After that, it would be, what else does it go back with? So is it something that you've also got there in the fitting room or is it something that you have in the wardrobe? But how can you use this one piece that you're looking at and consider beyond the piece Mm -hmm. and start to imagine, once I style it with this, once I put a jacket with it, once I've got those layers, how will that actually support the overall image and what I'm wanting to put together and show about my style? Because too often when we're in the fitting room, and I see this happen predominantly with women, but they're they're standing there in a bra that hasn't been professionally fitted and probably not updated in a while. Bras on average are meant to have about six months maximum lifespan. And most of us know that, you know, we keep them for a lot longer than that. So you're there in a bra that's ill-fitting. If you're anything like me of late, it feels like the boobs are just dropping lower and lower. And you're analysing these pants completely out of context. Mm. So our criticism becomes much harsher if it's pants that we're looking at. So what else will it go back with? And once you actually look at the photo as well without your, so not looking into the mirror, but into the photo that you take of yourself, ask how you'd perceive that person. So do you see them as stylish? Do you see them as approachable? Do you see them as warm? Do you see them as having an edge? Are they playing it safe? Are they too conservative? You'll gather these ideas about how you perceive that image and that will be the reference point of, okay, no, it's too conservative. Cool. Maybe it's time I add colour in. Or maybe, you know what, the the pant that I did think maybe it was a little tight, I'm actually going to go for. Or that, you know, that Y2K look that I thought there's no way I can pull that off again. (laughs) I was part of it the first time. I don't know if I could the first (laughs) time either, but here we are. (laughs) Here we are. It's giving it a go. Yeah. So at that point... I would, I, my kind of check-in is like where my, um, the meter is on seriousness to fun because sometimes we get so serious in all of the little nuances. You know, some people have the ability to be, to look for millimeter perfection mm. and that's not like fashion isn't about that unless it's couture or it's suiting maybe, but for most of us in our day-to-day lifestyle wear, it should be a lot more fun than that. So rules and bias when they're not positive and they're not, you know, positively delusional, then they actually sabotage our ability to find what we're looking for and to enjoy what we're wearing. Mm. I love that. I think that's a great place for us to wrap. Thank you. Your insights are always valuable and um, I look forward to diving deeper on more topics in the next one. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rule Breaker, Style Maker. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes, podcast news and what we do at ASI, be sure to follow our Instagram at Australian Style Institute. And if you're wanting to follow my own personal style journey and all things human behaviour of style, then you can follow my personal account at Lauren D. Bartolo. And I'll see you in the next episode.